Amen. Turn around and say hello to somebody and then be seated. Thank you so much. Amen. Amen. We've been having a really, really good project number eight, which is a special project. We are going to build, by the grace of God, a church in Africa. Brother Jerry Daniels has started dozens and dozens, scores of churches over there in Kenya. And we are going to be the next one, by the grace of God. And thank you so much for everything that you give. Maybe you've got hundreds or thousands or, or pennies, whatever you can give. Whatever it is, it'll be greatly appreciated. God will bless you for your generosity. Thank you so very much for getting answers back from people with respect to the Bible Institution uh, Institute graduation rather um, exercises coming up June 27th. And if you will, uh, if you will promise to get the work done, then you can be one of those that's included. Please let us know about that. That's June 27th, 2021. Next week, next week is Mother's Day. Let's show. A special time to mom. Let's be out to honor moms uh, on uh, Sunday morning. And then a uh, week after that, we will have Armed Forces Day. And then several weeks after that, we'll have uh, the honoring of those who have given the supreme sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice of their life in service for their country on Memorial Day weekend. So we got those things coming up along with Father's Day in June on the 20th of June. And then we do have honors, promotions, and graduations on the 27th. Glad that you're with us tonight. I'd like you to take your Bible. We do have some scripture to cover. I announced that I would be speaking on a very unusual subject, subject, at least a very unusual title, which is God's Windows and the Man Who Was Two-Thirds Blessed. God's Windows and the Man Who Was Two-Thirds Blessed. And you say, what does that have to do with anything? All right, we're going to see in just a few moments. Turn in your Bible with me, please, to 2 Kings Chapter number 7. 2 Kings chapter 7. Seems like everybody's got a problem. Isn't that the truth? Amen? Would you say that's the truth? It is. Everybody's got a problem. Everybody's trying to deal with their problems in all different ways. They're going to all different sources. There's only one proper source, only one divine source, only one foolproof source, and that's going to God. But a lot of people are not diligent about taking God's answer, seeking God's way, and though it is expressed in different ways throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament, God is always consistent in that He provides a way. God has provided a way for us, and He provided a way way back then as well. 2 Kings chapter number 7, chapter number 7, there was a horrible, horrible experience going on in Samaria. Uh, they were under siege by Syria, a fierce, hostile army. It gotten to the point where they had closed up everything, cut off supply lines, and people were starving. They were dying in Samaria, so much so that um, they were uh, paying uh, exorbitant prices for inedible things to eat. That's all I can say, just inedible things. If you'll read, you'll see exactly how inedible it was. And they got to the point where they even resorted to cannibalism. And there are those who have done studies of human behavior. And there have been times in human history when people have, out of what they felt was necessity, resorted to cannibalism. Well, they were doing that. Uh, there are at least uh, these cases uh, in the Bible as well. It's a terrible thing, but it shows uh, just a, a very uh, clear uh, dissecting of the human 
nature and behavior that follows when we're under extreme duress, the things that will be done. Now outside the walls, there was something else going on, something else happening with four key individuals, not people that would normally be given much, uh, much uh, of attention by the general public, but in verse number 3, and there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate. And they said one to another, why sit we here until we die? Good question. Why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. Go to the enemy. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. They were thinking, well, we're, we're living out a death sentence anyhow. Leprous people in those days were cut off from society, cut off from family, and uh, had to proclaim loudly, unclean when anybody approached them. They, they had no social life. They had no livelihood. And they thought, well, there is absolutely nothing to lose. It was Ben Franklin who paraphrased Chaucer, and he said these words that have become famous. He said, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Now what Chaucer said was a little, little more difficult to read and uh, to understand, but Ben Franklin summed it up. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. That's it. You have nothing to lose. You can sit there in despair. No one can pity you when your ruin comes. Uh, but if you die seeking mercy, if such a thing were possible, you'll be the object of universal sympathy at the very least. But there is no, there is no escape. There is no escape in the human realm. In this passage, there is no escape apart from God. In our lives and in our problems, there is no escape from our problems and the consequences thereof apart from Jesus Christ. He is the only way. We have to look to Jesus Christ. That's it. Uh, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. We have, we have uh, as a result of God's love which He commendeth toward us, we have the opportunity for escape. But without Him, there is no hope of escape. It were, if it were anything else, if it were any other circumstance, you would say, well, uh, maybe we could sit down and logically figure it out. There's no logic here. Uh, you might say, well, there might be uh, public opinion we could resort to and ask, uh, get a poll, get a cross-section, but that's not it. That's it. It's but one straw. As Spurgeon said, if you had but one straw to grasp at, wouldn't you grasp at it? Absolutely. Why would you do that? Because of self-preservation. Because all of us have that within us. If there's but one hope, one fleeting hope, then we go after it. And that's what these lepers are suggesting. They're going to, they're going to head out to the enemy. They're going to throw themselves on the mercy of the enemy and see what the enemy will do with them. It says in verse 5, And they rose up in the twilight to go unto the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria... Behold, there was no man there. They had gone. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a, and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. So they were fooled, you see. 
And they said one to another, uh, mistakenly, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. So they were, they were uh, saying, well, they were d- d- deducing that there was uh, some mercenary force that had come to save them. Wherefore, as a result of that, because they had wrong information, they the wrong conclusion, they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. Because they also were expressing that desire for self-preservation. So there you have it. We got self-preservation. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came again. Can you just picture them? They're, they're out there at the first tent. Wow, what's in here? Let's check out the refrigerator. There's no refrigerator, but they checked out the food stores and beverages and they started to partake and because they were very hungry. Everybody was starving where they came from and so they got to eat all that and then they started trying on the garments that were left and they started picking up and examining the gold and the silver and those precious things. And they entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. And they, after a while... They experienced something. We're going to talk about that. Then they said one to another, we do not well. Of course, they came to that point after they had eaten very well, after they had drunk very well, after they tried on enough clothes that they had a new wardrobe and they had a new bank account. Now they said it, but at least they said it. We do not well. This day is the day of good tidings. Ah, all right. So they understand they have a corporate responsibility. They have, they have a, a, a responsibility to a public good. And we hold our peace. That's criminal. We know it's unethical, but it's criminal in this case because we have people that are starving to death. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household. They already had their dinner, they already had what they needed, so they came and called unto the porter of the city, and they told them, saying, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no man there, neither voice of man, but horses tied, and asses tied, and the tents as they were. And he called the porters, and they told it to the king's house within. The king arose in the night and said unto his servants, I will now show you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry. Therefore, Are they gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, when they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city? All right, now this is, of course, natural caution. But the king, and unless he had a lot of of laid-by food stuffs, he's as hungry as anybody else. And at this point in time, something's going to kick in. He's going to realize you've got to, you've got to take this risk. You've got to accept responsibility. You've got to step up and be a leader at some point. If your title is king, then you've got to act like one. And so he says, uh, they're, just, they're trying to trick us. That's it. And one of his servants answered and said, Let some take, I pray thee, five of the horses that remain, which are left in the city. Behold, they are as all the multitude of Israel that are left in it. Behold, I say they are even as all the multitude of the Israelites that are consumed, and let us send and see. They took therefore two chariot horses, and the king sent after the host of the Syrians, saying, Go and see. And they went after them unto Jordan, and lo, all the way was full of garments and vessels, which the Syrians had cast away in their hands. So there's, they're leaving a trail. And the messengers returned and told the king. 
And the people went out and spoiled the tents of the Syrians. Now we're going to stop right there and have a word of prayer. Father, we thank You for this true story that is given to us in Scripture to show us how You work, how You provide, how we respond, what our problem is and what the solution is. Thank You, Lord, for that. I pray that You'll help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said when I began, it is important that we demonstrate diligence. That we be diligent to to take scriptural action whenever the opportunity is afforded us. We need to have Holy Spirit sensitivity. First of all, let me say, for us to be qualified to make wise choices when certain uh, ones might say there's a risk involved or uh, we wouldn't do that logically or we wouldn't do that according to public opinion, we go against the grain, listen to me, we go against the grain of logic. We go against the grain of public opinion. When we are in the Word and the Spirit of God directs us. That's important as a principle because there are people who would say, no, that's so subjective, we, we, have, to, we have to place the direction of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God under our understanding of that which is logical and that which is popularly attested to. No, we don't do that. Because there are numerous cases. You can find them, you can list them. You can give me some tonight if you would like. All across the pages of Scripture where the majority was wrong. W-R-O-N-G, wrong. Where the vast majority was wrong. Where all but one were wrong. Where one or two were right. Where a handful, where one family was right. Where one small group, one tribe, one individual, one, one uh, small representation, one small sampling was right. Right and wrong are never determined by the number of adherents. Right and wrong is determined by what God says. And there's only one place where God definitively and objectively says what is right. And that's in the Bible. I understand that God created everything. His fingerprints are on all of creation. But we have, we have nothing but the, the general understanding that there is a God. There is a grand designer. That's all we know from nature, from creation. We don't know anything more specific. It took the revealing of truth for man to come to terms with a personal God who personally cares about us and has a personal plan for our life and for those whom we love and for those with whom we have to deal. We found that out through the Bible. There's enough in the Word of God. Now at uh, this point, 2 Kings chapter 7, there, there were enough scriptures written that people could ascertain the will of God because God only holds people responsible for that which He has given explanation for. God doesn't, God doesn't hold these people in 2 Kings 7 responsible for things that He says over in the New Testament. God does not hold them responsible for that which comes later on in human history. Only that which God has revealed does He hold people responsible for. But He does hold us responsible for that. He does say what He wants us to know, and it is our responsibility to know that and to act upon that. And to be, let me add again, to be diligent to take 
scriptural action. So what do we have in the Word of God that tells us to take scriptural action? 2 Kings chapter 7 is occurring after the writing of the book of Proverbs. They have the whole book of Proverbs. They have, they have most, if not all, of the Psalms. They have so much Scripture that they could rely upon to know the will of God. I'm telling you right now, sitting around and doing as it says in Proverbs chapter 24, just twiddling our thumbs and blaming God for our inactivity is not going to get it done. Never, 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 never does God's sovereignty, the providence of God, the, the acts of God, the predetermined will of God, never, ever, ever, ever do we excuse away our inactivity by claiming that, by, by speaking to that subject. That subject does not exclude the fact that we are responsible. For example, we believe that God is the one who draws people to Himself, and He's the one that saves them. We are merely the channels. We understand that. We believe that. But it is our responsibility. And this is what the old-timers would call means. We do believe in the means of being a channel of blessing. We do believe in the means of human uh, responsibility. I understand that it's my job to declare what I know of God. That's why it behooves me to know God and know about God and know what God wants them to know and therefore be the channel. There you have it. These lepers are very much like we are. And they're, they're acting at the beginning very much like many Christians would act at the beginning. Let's, come on. Look what God did for me. Why? He gave me the, the, entire, the entire encampment of the Syrian army. Look at that. Why? Why? We can just go from place to place and we can eat today in this tent, tomorrow we can eat in this tent, and the next day we can eat in that. Why? 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 By my computations, we're good for 150 years. Isn't that the way some Christians figure when it comes to the will of God? But you know what? That's not the way God wants us to be. God doesn't want us to set aside enough stuff for 150 years. Or even maybe for 100 years. You know why? Because we're not going to be around. That's why. And for us to put all of our time and energy and our concern into that which we're not even going to live to experience is a total waste. We need to be spending this moment, this little sliver of eternity, or as I have said in a song I'll be presenting on uh, YouTube soon, this little moment in time is a drop in the ocean of eternity. But it ought to make a difference. It ought to make a difference right now. So for the first couple of tents, they weren't doing anything but feeding their faces, were they? And they could perhaps later say, we we're just gaining strength. We're just building up our strength. They were, listen, to be totally honest, they were just being as carnal or as fleshly or as selfish as they could be. Somebody might say, well, they've been lepers for a long time. It's their turn. Uh, isn't that, you know, that's, a, that's God looking up for the little guy. Yes, God is sovereign over this entire picture. But at some point, the realization comes to them, we do not well. We need to back it up a little bit 
to see what's going on. In chapters 6 on down to chapter 7, we have the horrible story of all of this. But uh, Elisha, Elisha in verse 32, who had a price on his head, by the way, in verse 31. Verse 32 of chapter 6 sat in his house, and the elders sat with him, and the king sent a man from before him. They're trying to trap him. But ere the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, See how this son of a murderer hath sent to take away mine head. Now notice how he speaks with respect of the king. All right. Look when the messenger cometh. Shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he yet talked with them, behold, the messenger came down unto him, and he said, Behold, this evil is of the Lord. What should I wait for the Lord, what should I wait for the Lord any longer? Now go to verse 1 of chapter 7. Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time. Now right at this moment, as he is speaking, you can't buy any decent food. And what you can buy to consume is inedible for such exorbitant prices that you cannot afford it. And people are cannibalizing one another at this time. So when he says this, you see, he's a prophet. And what does the prophet do? The prophet speaks for God, doesn't he? The prophet speaks for God. So he's a prophet, and he says, Tomorrow about this time, he's speaking for God, shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, just a little bit, just pocket change, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. He's saying, tomorrow everything's going to turn around. Everything's going to be better. Now, this is not one of the false prophets that we see during, for example, Elijah's time when they were prophesying good or during Jeremiah's time when they prophesy good and it's really not good. It's a lie. It's, it's, uh, it's just a false optimism. No, this is a word from the Lord. And you can take everything between the covers of this book, the Bible, and in proper context, you can take it and you can claim the principles of the Word of God. I'm so glad that we can. I believe that God wants us to know every bit of it, even that which is not written to us or about us, but it's still written for us, for our admonition, to build us up. The more you get into the Word of God, the more you're going to be built up spiritually. And praise God for that truth. So he's saying, he's saying a word from the Lord. Here it is. Tomorrow it's going to be so turned around that you won't be stuck having to pay exorbitant prices for inedible food or, or cannibalize one another. But there is going to be an abundance of food that's going to be sold. And not only is it going to be sold, it's going to be so reasonable that anybody can afford it. And you go home and you can fix a major meal. Think about that. That's what he's saying. And you can apply this, and I can apply this, in God's timing. God's going to take care of things. We know what the condition was outside the gate. Outside the gate, God had already caused the Syrian army to flee. Outside the gate stood four leprous men who had a death sentence on them anyway. And they said, might as well go out there because the worst thing can happen. We're going to die anyway. So that's it. That's a universal condition. People every day are dealing with death, the reality of death. Whether they want to face it, whether they want to face it scripturally or not, death is real. 
And right now, somebody is dying, and in the next second, somebody else is dying, and in the next hour, a whole bunch of people will die worldwide. There's going to be a lot of death, and it's going to be of such a nature that if we really thought about it that fast, those people going out in eternity, it would really make things a lot more sober than they are. Think about it. Many of them have never heard of Jesus Christ. So the condition, the condition. And when they said, when they came to this point, they asked a rhetorical question. Why sit we here until we die? This is what you would call some kind of an awakening. Some kind of awakening. And it may, it may just be a, a general awakening that is present within every person, but God is gracious regardless. So they have some kind of an awakening, awakening at this point. And this is probably the first time that they're thinking serious thoughts. They say, why, why sit? We, we might as well go out there. So they get out there. They, they discover the, the empty tents. They begin to eat and drink and celebrate and, and hiding stuff. And they're doing what many Christians do. Instead of sharing, keeping it to themselves. God never intended that we be saved and keep it to ourselves. God intended that we be saved and share it with others. That's the Great Commission. That's, that's the program of worldwide evangelization. That's you win the one next to you and I'll win the one next to me as the song goes. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's why, at the very least, we ought to pass tracks and give people an opportunity to be saved. And uh, we've seen joyously people receive these recently. Very few people turn them down. It's a wonderful opportunity to get the word out. And they open it up and it, it addresses the fact that many people are sad or sorrowful or in despair. And many people will say, I'm having a bad day. This is exactly what I need. And then they'll read on from there. And many will read all the way to the end and pray and receive Christ. And God keeps the books. And I don't, I don't know how many get saved, but I know that more get saved than would get saved if we hadn't passed them out. And that's the only thing we can deal with. That's the only hard fact that we can deal with here. Nobody was getting fed inside the gates at this point. It was a bunch of lepers getting fed outside the gates. Now the problem is, these guys are keeping it to themselves, and all of a sudden, this conviction settles in. We do not well. That would be like the second awakening. Now this, this is more specific. This is more specific. I see a lot of people that'll say, what's the use? Might as well, whatever. And they have that kind of a, you know, weigh the consequences experience. But then when people say, you know, this isn't right. They begin to look at things in terms of right and wrong. They look in terms of what is moral and what is ethical. And I believe God can use that. Now in a case like this, we're just taking the lepers as examples of Christians. We, I have no idea what their spiritual condition was, but they were awakened to the fact that they weren't doing the right thing. May we not be guilty of waiting till that point. And so they go to the city and they tell what they knew was the truth, what they had witnessed. And that is what we are. The Lord tells us in the Old Testament, you are my witnesses. The Lord tells us in the New Testament, Lord Jesus, 
on the Mount of Ascension, he says, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. A witness in a courtroom is someone who under oath tells the truth, tells what they know, tells what they've experienced. And that's what we're given the responsibility and the privilege of being a witness for Jesus Christ, telling what we know. I, I don't know a lot, but I know I'm not what I was. I know I'm not on my way to where I was headed. I know He's turned everything around. He's changed me from the inside out. And praise the Lord, everything's brand new. I can't explain it all in terms that you'll understand. I can just tell you from a personal standpoint that it's real and you need to experience this as well. The city benefits from their being witnesses. But I want us to go back. Let's go back again. 2 Kings chapter 7. And verse number 2 speaks of a person of responsibility, a person of intelligence, a person, no doubt, uh, who uh, was kind of individual that you could uh, put some, some trust in. Then a Lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shalt not eat thereof. So somebody, somebody, and we are all prone to do this, doubts. Of course, is going to say, can such a thing happen? Could it happen in 24 hours that, that the lack of food would suddenly be replaced with a, 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 an abundance of food and it would be cheap and people would no longer have that problem? And people might say, is it possible that it, just that quickly uh, people who were lost and condemned and on their way to hell could be saved and made brand new from the inside out and have a hope within them? And the answer is yes, we've seen it, we've experienced it ourselves and we know that can happen. And so if that's the greatest miracle, and it is, then how much, how much can God do in a situation like this? He can make this Lord two-thirds blessed. I'm going to show it to you right now. Two-thirds blessed. He heard, he heard it. He had his opportunity. He raised doubt. And the, and the answer to what he is saying is God has no problem seeing us and knowing what's supposed to happen. God has windows in heaven, yes. And he pours out of the windows of heaven blessings as the chorus that we sing tells. But we can't see into heaven except what God has revealed through His Word. And I don't know how, at this point, God is going to provide this food, this, this good, abundant food, uh, inexpensively, so everybody is going to be spared in the city. I don't know. I just know God. And so Elisha doesn't know how, and nobody at this point knows how because they haven't experienced it yet. But Elisha and those who are believers in Almighty God, the God of the Old and New Testament, know they know that God can do this. I know God can do this. God can spare that whole city. That city wasn't deserving of sparing, but God was merciful. That's the word. And so, there it is. They went out. The people went out, spoiled the tent. Tents of the Syrians, verse 16. So a measure of fine flour was sold for how much? A shekel. How much did, they, how much did uh, 
Elisha say? A shekel. How much did the porter on whom the king's hand leaned, somebody was dependable or depended upon, what did he say? No, can't happen. Can't possibly happen. Could, we could see into heaven maybe, but no, we can't. We don't know. We can't possibly know. A doubter. A doubter. Uh, a logician, right? Uh, a person who is hung up on things that you see in the five and experience in the five senses. A person who is stuck on uh, just this little small reality rather than much larger sphere. And two measures of barley for a shekel according to the word of the Lord. What is it according to the word of the Lord? What can God do? God will do what He says He will do. Did they have access to enough Bible to know to trust the Lord? And the answer is yes. They had enough. I can, I can take you, I can make up, you know how there's the Roman road plan of salvation? I can do that in Proverbs. I can do that in Psalms. Can, can, you, can you come to know the Lord in the Old Testament? You absolutely can. You absolutely can. They had enough Bible to know who God is, and they were, they were acquainted with the past uh, experiences of His showing mercy and His long-suffering, certainly, that they could trust Him. But, see, circumstances had gotten pretty tough. They were pretty worn. They were beaten down. And they said, I don't know about that, but here it is. It came to pass. And the king appointed the Lord on whose hand he leaned to have the charge of the gate. Now, the king is not doing this to be mean to his friend. He's given him the charge of the gate. And the people trod upon him in the gate. He just happened to be there when the people trod upon him. And he died as the man of God had said who spake when the king came down to him. And it came to pass as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, Two measures of barley for a shekel and a measure of fine flour for a shekel shall be tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. And that Lord answered the man of God and said, Now... Behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, might such a thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shalt not eat thereof. And so it fell out unto him, for the people trod upon him in the gate, and he died. He was trampled to death. I've entitled this message, God's Windows. And the full explanation of that is, yes, God sees and knows everything. He knows exactly what we need, and he will provide in His time, in His way, and we need to do one thing, and that is to know His Word and follow the leading of His Spirit, and we need to what? Trust Him. That's it. And God's only going to allow us to see what He wants us to see. That's what faith is all about. We trust Him. We trust His Word. But the second half of my title tonight is and The Man Who Was Two-Thirds Blessed. How can he be two-thirds blessed? One, two, three. Number one, he heard the good news. He heard the good news. Didn't he? He did. He knew what the prophet said that God was going to do. He heard the good news. How many people in this world have, especially in this country, have heard the plan of salvation? How many of them have been exposed to some degree of the gospel? I'm ashamed when I think that our nation that was established in such a great manner by God-fearing people has come to this point in time. When those who believe the Bible and stand 
upon the truth of the Word of God, why we're put off on the side and demeaned and made fun of, not only by rank infidels and unbelievers and all kinds of people that have made it in the eyes of the world and they're famous and they're powerful and they're rich, but also over in that group, pointing a finger at us and demeaning us, are all of those that are not fundamental Bible believers, but are religious. The whole religious crowd. They also have categorized us as crazy because we believe what God says in the Word. Instead of taking this book and allegorizing every passage as they do and treating it like a book of stories and myths and just drawing out generalities and making it fit any way they want it to fit rather than properly interpreting, rightly dividing the word of truth. They point to us and say, why? They don't allegorize. Why? They're, they're so narrow-minded. They believe that every word of it is God's word. I say amen. Why? They believe that every word of it is preserved. I say amen. And they even believe that there are no mistakes in it. I say amen. And they would say further, those fools are trying to do what this book says. And may I add this? I still say it behooves us not to be like the guy that owned the field that had gone to weeds and nettles. We need to be diligent. He let, let the wall fall apart. He let everything go to weeds and thorns and nettles and was not diligent. We have the truth. We need to be diligent about it. And even though the world may try to drown us out and say, you know, you, you, just, you folks are all literalists. Why are you just taking everything in the Bible? You believe that, that Jesus walked on water and you believe that He healed the sick and He raised the dead and He cast out demons and He fed the 5,000? I say amen to that. And they are perplexed with how dumb they think we are. When the truth be known is they're a fool. They're a fool. Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Absolutely. Absolutely. This man who stood in the gate, number one, he heard the good news. Number two, he saw the proof of the good news. He saw that food come through the gate to feed the city. He saw that. So he's one, two-thirds blessed because... The last third is he died and never tasted of it, never benefited by it. Instead, he died trodden underfoot in the gate. And I would have to say to you, anybody that's two-thirds blessed like that isn't blessed at all. They're dead. That's it. I don't want to settle for two-thirds of a blessing. I want to know the truth. I want to see the proof of the truth. And I want to act upon it and take full benefit of the truth. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody looking. How many of you tonight would say, Preacher, God spoke to me in the message about something. Slip your hand up. God spoke to me tonight. God spoke to me. God spoke to me. Amen. You can believe the Lord. You can believe His Word. And we need to be people who act upon it and share the good news. In just a moment, we're going to give an invitation 
But I have to say this. You know for sure if you died right now that you go to heaven. If you don't know, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray from your heart right now? Pray something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins. Take me to heaven when I die. If you prayed that prayer, slip your hand up. Anyone at all?